Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though its mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that we can look at together and the reminder that it is of the God who you are, the God that we serve and put our faith in. Lord, we ask that you'd be with us now. In Christ's name, amen. Now, before we dive into Psalm 46 and the passage itself, let's think about what the psalms were to the people of Israel. Remember, the psalms, it was a songbook for the people of Israel, a songbook used in the temple for worship. They were worship songs, communal prayers, and dedications and declarations made by the people of God about God himself. They were God's words sung back to him. And that's what we do each week when we come to the portion in our service where we sing the Psalms. I I love that because it reminds us that these are songs. It's poetry before the Lord. Now, many of you are musicians, and you know the power of music far better than I do. But even I know that music has this amazing ability to communicate things that other forms of communication don't. One of the things that I find particularly amazing is the way that it's so memorable to us. That there's something in the rhythm, there's something in the patterns that gets music stuck in our head. That it rolls itself around and it wraps itself tightly into our minds. So that for better or worse, once we've memorized it, once we've heard it, it's there to stay. For instance, you may think of of famous uh, like music tunes that you find in in movies like maybe Indiana Jones or uh, maybe the whistling in the bridge at the River Kwai. Uh, Perhaps it's the Spider-Man theme song comes back to you not only in sermons, but just at any point. I think back to watching Sesame Street or Barney as a kid, and those songs, if I hear them come on, I I can't help it. They're there, and they come back to my mind. See, this was the idea for the Psalms as well, that they were used in worship, but they didn't just stay in the temple. 
But they went out with the people. They were to be sung as people walked to work. They were to be hummed while people were doing chores, taught to their children, that these things would come to your mind and you would contemplate them as you were falling asleep in bed at night. See, when these songs became entrenched, their message, the words, the truths of God could come roaring back to people in their time of need. Whether you had just learned them or it had been years since you had learned them, these words could continually direct the people of God So what was the message in this psalm? What is the truth that God would have his people remember, contemplate, get stuck in our minds here in Psalm 46? Well, as we walk through this passage together, we'll recognize that it puts before us a picture of a God who is mighty in power and strength. A God who is with his people to provide for their every need and to protect them from harm. That over and against every security we have in this life, God stands alone, supreme. See, this psalm teaches us that God's people, the church, do not fear adversity and life circumstances because they look to Him as their refuge and their strength. That God alone is the sure foundation on which to base our lives. That our faith and hope are not in vain because we believe the Bible, and the God who is declared here for us. See, this psalm is a greatly loved psalm throughout church history. Martin Luther, at the time of the Reformation, used to say to uh, his friend Melanchthon and his other companions, come, let us sing Psalm 46 together. Or Charles Spurgeon, who said that this is a psalm of great confidence. The church has found strength in this psalm in every age. Now, as we'll look at the whole psalm together, we'll really focus on verses 1 through 3. See, this is the the foundation of the psalm, and everything else uh, will point back to it throughout the psalm. So as we look at verses 1 through 3, we'll see that we can be broken into two parts. First, there's a great confession in verse 1, describing who God is and His relationship to His people. Next, in verses 2 and 3, we see the psalmist's confidence despite life circumstances. Now, the way that we'll approach this, we'll actually walk through it a little bit backwards because we'll first contemplate the believer's lack of fear in the poetic trials, and then we'll explore how God is described in verse 1. Now, what gives the psalmist so much confidence in this Psalm 46? Well, as we read through it together, and Emmeline read through it earlier, and I read through it, I hope that you understand and you could sense that there's a a personal nature to this psalm, that the psalmist had just witnessed some great act of God in deliverance and salvation for his people, and now he's writing this song, this psalm back to God, with all the language referring to warfare and fortresses and refuges. Most commentators agree that this was written after one of Two instances in the Old Testament. The first one we find is in 2 Chronicles 20, where Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And what had happened was there were armies that were coming against Jehoshaphat and the people, and they were overwhelmed. And they went to the Lord and they asked, God, what should we do? We don't know what to do. We're going to be overwhelmed. I want you to listen to God's words and how he responded to Jehoshaphat. Because thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, 
For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And then later we hear how God deals with this enemy. It says, The Lord set an ambush against the men who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. They all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Another passage that that could possibly lead to the writing of Psalm 46 is found in 2 Kings 18 and 19. In this one, Hezekiah was king of, of Jerusalem, of king of Judah. And Sennacherib and the Assyrians were coming as a superpower against Israel. They had come through the land and they had wiped out people after people, nation after nation, city after city. No one could stand up to them. And here they come and they surround Jerusalem and they surround Hezekiah and there's no hope for the people. And so they seek the Lord. Our text says, after Hezekiah sought the Lord in humble prayer, not actually the scripture passage that after he seeks the Lord in prayer, God heard Hezekiah's prayer and responded. And here's what we hear in the Bible. Therefore, thus says the Lord, according to the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. For by the way he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, an angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And while commentators may debate which event actually inspired the writing of Psalm 46, we can see that in either case, God himself provided defensive protection for his people and went out before them to win a great deliverance. Therefore, the people of God knew concretely through recent events that with a God like that on their side, no one could stand against them. You see, even when the odds were stacked against them, even when they looked out and all they could see was the enemy and death and destruction, The psalmist says that the people of God know God, they know his character, and they will not fear. You see, it's not that the troubles of life weren't coming against them. It's not that they knew exactly how God was going to work things out. Instead, the psalmist says that the people of God trust him through hard times in life and through struggles. Rather than allowing fear to dominate, God's people look to him in faith, trust, and in hope. Very interesting, as we look at verse 2 in Psalm 46, we notice that God, other places God commands people not to be afraid. He, he tells them, don't be afraid, don't fear. But here in Psalm 46, we see that it's not a command, but it's a point of fact. That after the people of God have experienced such a great salvation, how could they be afraid? How could they keep from trusting in a God like this. You can almost hear the psalmist as they're walking out in verse 2, looking for ways to praise God and declare their, their faith in Him. I mean, 
If you wanted a metaphor for something that's secure in life, what would you go to? What would you use? What are the things that are are trustworthy in this life? Well, in verse 2, our psalmist says, well, how about the earth? That's secure. We walk on it. We, We build on it. When we go for a walk or we walk our dogs, we don't worry that the ground is going to cave in because we trust that the ground will stay. But our psalmist asks, what if it didn't? What if the earth gave way? Even then, even though the earth gives way, we will not fear. What else is proud in nature? What else stands secure? Well, in in Psalm 46, again, our psalmist looks out and they see the mountains. And they say, look at the mountains. They're secure. They are strong. They are firm. Now, we don't have mountains here in this area. But but if you've ever been by mountains, you understand that they're resilient. That by their nature, they're permanent. They don't move. They never move. They never shift. They stay where, they're, where they are. And the psalmist asks, what if they didn't? What if they moved? What if they were removed into the heart of the sea? Imagine that. Imagine that these mountains were thrown into the sea. And yet, even so, the people of God do not fear. As solid as the ground is and as firm as the mountains seem, they don't hold a candle to our God. Now, we remember that this is poetry, and he's not just describing natural events that happen and provide security, but he welcomes us to think through our own lives and think of things that bring us security, right? If we were writing Psalm 46, what are the things that we would include? What are the things that give us peace in this life, that give us rest? What are the things that we rely on to make it through our day? Many of us would turn to family, friends, maybe our country, our health, or the health of our loved ones. Perhaps it's our jobs or our bank accounts, our skills, or maybe our talents. I mean, the list could go on and on. However, with the moment's reflection, we know that none of these things could provide us eternal security or ultimate security. People can be fickle. Jobs can be lost. Tragedies take people away from us and bank accounts can dry up. However, we are here today worshiping a God who is more steadfast than the ground on which we stand. That he's more sure and more secure than the mountains that the psalmist talks about. What joy we have to trust in a God if only we remember to look at him in our time of need. Okay, now the psalmist looked at the securities in our life. But what if we're attacked? What if forces come against us? Then what? Well, we see that he goes on to the, to the seas in our psalm. He says, though the seas roar and foam, and they attack the mountains, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, it's almost like we're, we're standing on a precipice looking out at a storm coming in from the ocean. And we look out and the sea seems to have a life of its own. And it's coming at us and it's attacking the mountains. It's causing the mountains to tremble and, and want to fall into the sea. And, and we look out knowing that if we fell in, we would have no chance of survival. That even if there was a ship down there, 
in the water that's roaring and foaming. It would either be crushed and crashing against the, 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 the mountain and it would break, break into smithereens or it would be capsized and fall to the bottom of the ocean. And the psalmist has us looking out there and saying, what if, what if this happened? Even so, the people of God do not fear, for God is with us. Now again, this is poetry. It's talking about the forces of nature, but it's also talking about the struggles and the trials in our life as well. You see, the rest of the psalm, the psalmist goes on to talk about warring nations and political problems and national troubles. It is clear that in this poetic language, it's meant to show us that God's people rely on Him no matter what life circumstances are. But we live in a world that's naturally fearful. If you turn on the news, it seems like everywhere you look, people are afraid of something for good reason. If we look at our world over the past two years, we can see how so many of the things that we thought were secure, that we could rely on, have been attacked, face major debate, or are being taken from us. Our health and the health of our loved ones was under attack. Our economy is different, it's struggling. Our views of the government, our views of military, of law enforcement, education, health care, The environment, all of these things are are things of major debate. We see the disruption in our supply chains. When we go to the grocery store, we recognize prices going up. When we go to the the gas pump, we we recognize that it's getting more expensive. People are worried about many things, and none of these things are insignificant. We are called to be thoughtful. We're called to see the problem and seek a solution. However, Psalm 46 reminds us that as believers, we are not driven by fear, but rather by a a radical, all-encompassing trust in our sovereign God that is presented to us in verse 1. And who is this God? Well, the psalmist provides two big aspects for us. It says, first, God is a refuge, that he's our refuge. See, a refuge was a place of protection. Verses 7 and 11 provide a refrain or a chorus for the people. They're repeated phrases here. That the Lord of hosts is with us. That God of Jacob is our fortress. It's repeated in verse 7 and 11. See, it tells us that the God of Jacob is our fortress. That he's our refuge. It may be hard for us to imagine living in a time uh, where... We would require walled cities to keep us safe. We enjoy the privilege of living in towns that we don't need that. But for the people at this time, they would look at Jerusalem. They would look to the walled city as their protection in case an enemy came against them. That they may live outside of this city and they may farm and have their homes. But if an enemy came against them, they would all flee into the castle. They would flee to the fortress, the stronghold, and find protection there. That once the people were inside, they could shut the doors and the people would be protected. That inside they would have food and shelter and water and other provisions as they waited out the enemy. You see, in in verse 4, the psalmist has taken us inside the refuge of God. 
Remember in verse 3, the waters were coming against us. They were coming against the mountain, causing the mountains to tremble. But here we have another picture of God. But in this case, it's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That there is abundance, that there is peace, there's prosperity, life, and gladness for the people of God who seek refuge in his city. What's the main reason? Where where do they get this from? Well, it's because God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. This is the same idea we find in verse 1, where God is very present, help in time of trouble. Do we serve a God that is near to us and ready to, to act and ready to save? There is great confidence here for the people of God that know that God will never leave nor forsake them. Knowing this, the people flee to him when they struggle. He appears to them a protection and a security, like like a small child in a thunderstorm, where that thunderstorm is terrifying. So what do they do? They run to their parents, and in the presence of their parents, they find security, and they sleep well at night. See, in verse 5, the people of God are not worried that they will be moved, nor are they concerned about the storms or the enemies or the troubles going on outside the gates. They will not be moved because God is with them. They do not worry because God will help them when morning dawns, that God will help them in his perfect timing. See, God is a refuge, and the God of Jacob is our fortress as well. Now, if we consider the metaphor, we'll be reminded that even though the fortress itself is rock solid, a place of protection and refuge, only those who enter the fortress receive its protection. If you do not go inside or you go it alone, you do not receive the peace and the protection that's offered. Just as Noah's Ark did no good to those outside of it, but only those inside of it, those of us who look to God in faith, And trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone will receive God's ultimate protection. Our God is ready to save those who turn to him in faith. Those in Christ know what it means to flee to him in time of need. To lay themselves out before him and receive his help in their times of trouble. See, for believers, we understand that currently we are inside the fortress that God saves us and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God, that God is in the midst of us, never to leave or forsake us. See, for the Christian, we know that when we go to God, when we run to him as in our time of need, we don't actually move. We are in the refuge. So rather what we're doing is we're acknowledging his presence, his power and protection in our lives. This is important because we know that we live in a fallen world. And that God does not simply remove the trials of our life. We aren't called to be happy-go-lucky in the face of struggles and adversity. Sometimes we mistakenly think that Christians are called to ignore the hard facts of life and pretend that life is easy. But here's a newsflash. The biggest understatement of the day. Life isn't easy. It's incredibly difficult. We all do face trials 
And we will continue to go through difficult situations. But as God's people, we have the joy of trusting in him as we go through them. See, Christians are called to have confidence as God as we, re- we learn to rely on him in all things. See, there's a difference between having a strong faith and having faith in something that is strong. See, Christians ought to display a great confidence in the world, not because of the strength of our faith, but because of the who we put our faith in. See, even as Christians, though, we can be hard-headed. We can look at our circumstances and say, this is fine. We're going to muscle through it. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we're going to make it through in our own power. God does call his people to hard work but not in their power, in his. See, one of the ways that we show reliance upon God is through prayer. Because prayer, by its nature, is coming before God, recognizing his strength in our inability, that he is sovereign over everything and that we need him. This is what the, Paul says to the Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That writer of Hebrews reminds us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I'm also reminded of the subtle rebuke in the the famous song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, when we know that God is our refuge and he bids us to come to him, we would do well to listen to him. We must slow down. Come to him in prayer and bask in his protective care for us. But that's not where the psalmist ends. Not only is God a defensive fortress for his people, but he also actively goes out before his people and fights for them. See, in verse 1, God is a refuge and a strength. And then this message is is again paralleled down in, in the chorus. That the Lord of hosts is with us. This is a strange phrase to many of us. We don't use language like this. But what he's saying is God is the God of heaven's armies. That is, it's a host of armies that come with the Lord. See, this phrase tells us that God comes with his great angelic army of heavenly beings who are armed with swords, ready to fight for God's cause ready to fight for God's people. See, we're reminded of the story of Elisha. You remember when when Elisha was in a city, you'll see parallels again. He's in a city and the enemy comes and they surround the city because they want Elisha. And so when they wake, the people wake up in the morning, Elisha's servant looks out and he sees this enemy that's coming against them. And he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? But then Elisha said to him, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open open his eyes so that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That God's army had come and no earthly army could stand against him when God raised his sword. Biblically speaking, when we think about angels, I I hope that you don't think of little beings on the clouds that are naked with bows and arrows. No, biblically speaking, angels are mighty warriors that God uses. And when he calls out a judgment, they go out and they can single-handedly destroy thousands of people before the Lord. And our God comes with not one of them or two of them. He comes with a whole host of them. Legions of heaven's armies. Remember when Jesus, right at his arrest, uh, Peter raised his sword to protect him. And and Jesus rebuked him and said, don't you realize I could call out 12 legions of angels to protect me? What are you doing with the sword? Right? And, And here God comes. And he's coming with his host of heavenly beings. We do not fear because the Lord of hosts is with us. But what's even more amazing in in our passage, in our psalm, is how unnecessary these heavenly armies seem, right? If you look at God and what God does in the passage, it's amazing. In verse 6, we see that the nations and the kingdoms of the world are raging, that they're tottering, that they're warring against each other. And what does God do in verse 6? It says he utters his voice and the earth melts. He doesn't raise up this big battle plan and strategy to go out and defeat the enemy. No, the same voice that brought the world and all things in the universe into existence simply speaks and the earth melts. It disappears under his enemies. It goes away. Next, we... We see down in verse 8, it says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth, that he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, that he breaks the bow, that he shatters the spear, that he burns the chariots with fire. And then unannounced, out of nowhere it seems, God speaks and we hear his message. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He says, enough. Stop your useless striving. It is futile against me. That I am the God of the universe. That I have created all. And this is my world. This is my universe. And it will be used to bring me glory. I will be exalted there. Stop your fighting. And this is our God. This is the Lord of hosts that the psalmist reminds is our God, that he fights for us, that he fights for his people, that he is to us a fortress. What do we do with this? What what do we do as as we contemplate these words of our God? Well, I, I give three things. We must recognize that we need God, that we need his protection, his shield over us. We need him to fight our battles for us. 
See, he has done this in an ultimate sense through Jesus Christ. That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us to save us, to conquer sin and conquer death, will he not graciously give us all things? Secondly, we are to expect adversity in life. God does not promise to remove the hardships of life. Rather, he promises to work through us, through them in us, to sanctify us. I heard a man that, that gave an example um, of driving down a, a road in the Appalachian Mountains, a, a tunnel road. And, and as a child, he was driving with his dad, and they would go into a tunnel, and, and everything would close in around them. And it was unnatural that, that, they, that the child wanted the light. They wanted the free air. And yet they were going through this tunnel. A natural. And they would ask the dad, will this tunnel ever end? And his father said, yes, son. And he would look up in the distance and far out in the distance, he would see a pinprick of light. And as they continued to drive, it would grow and grow and grow until they burst out and everything was right. And they, they could have the sun again and the wind and everything was great until they came to the next tunnel and they did the same thing all over again. And they went through tunnel after tunnel. And what the man was saying was, this is our life. That through our lives, we experience many tunnels, many difficulties, many times of struggle in our lives. But God doesn't remove those tunnels from us, but he uses those times to grow us, to strengthen us, to refine us, to develop in us character as he sanctifies us into the image of his son. Let's look to him in those times. Third, we remember that God is sovereign over all things. That he is working all things out according to his fixed plan and his perfect will. We don't always understand how. We don't always understand why God uses those circumstances in our lives. But we do know that he is working all things out together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, people of God, as we go out, let us remember Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.